Ciao, and welcome to the Frontier Space Podcast, a dialogue about how space technology and exploration are transforming our solar system. Noah, we're delighted to have you here today on the Frontier Space Podcast. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. How are things in uh, Edinburgh? Well, um, they're, they're actually uh, fine, yeah. Um, typical Scottish weather today, so a bit of sunshine, a bit of rain, a bit of everything. Uh, but yeah, everything is very good. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's been raining over here in Strasbourg, France for the past few, few days or so as well. <laughs> but uh love to uh, dive in and, and, and hear more about uh, your yep. background and, and, and research, if, if you could share. Yeah, so, much, so I'm, I work for the um, UK Astronomy Technology Centre in Edinburgh, um, where we, we design um, instruments uh, for ground-based astronomy uh, and also for space-based astronomy. So we're involved in projects um, with an extremely large telescope, which we will be built in, being built in Chile. So we're building a big instrument, first light instrument called Harmony. Uh, and we're also involved in the James Webb Space Telescope. Um, our director is actually the PI of one of the three instruments there. And we also have a, a big involvement in an instrument called LISA. And I personally do um, something called adaptive optics. Um, so, so it's basically trying to correct optical distortions in an active way, so having an active control about the, the, the optical quality. On the ground, it's, it's due to atmospheric turbulence. In space, it's more um, either vibrations or optical distortions due to thermal effects or other variations. Um, so that's what I do. Um, I did um, start a career in, in Paris, in France, and an institute called Honora where I did uh, adaptive optics for laser communication, um, where you need to compensate the laser beam to make sure it goes to, at the other end of the receiver. Um, and then um, I switched institutes again near Paris in the Dong, uh, Paris Observatory, to do a postdoc, and then I moved across um, to, to Edinburgh in the UK to work for the UK Astronomy Technology Center. So I've been based uh, there for quite a while now. Um, and as I said, working on on ground-based astronomy a lot, and also in space instrumentation. Excellent. Um, what was your aha moment that really inspired you to pioneer this research on, on deployer, deployable mirrors and in, in, uh, CubeSats? Well, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's a, there was an aha moment, but it was more of a gradual understanding of the, the issues and, and trying to, to imagine solutions. And um, so, as I, I just discussed briefly about the James Webb Space Telescope, so that's one of a very good you know, flagship instrument uh, for astronomy. It's, it's ginormous. Um, it's 6.5 meters in diameter. Um, took many decades to develop. And that is using um, deployable mirror sticks, it have a bigger aperture basically and be able to fit in the, the, the fairing of the rocket. Um, so that was their, 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 their idea really, you know, how can we fit this humongous mirror 
in a, a rocket. So they decided to fold it uh, so it can fit and obviously unfold it uh, in space. Um, but since that, you know, this started 20 years ago or so, uh, there hasn't been any other real examples of deployable optics. First of all, because it's quite hard. And second of all, the costs are just um, not um, doable for normal um, companies. You know, multi-partner, uh, multi-country, multiple countries investing in that facility. So, um, but the, there are some, some fundamental reasons why you want a bigger aperture. Um, and they're, they're basically the same um, for all the applications, either Earth, Earth, Earth observation or astronomy. You, you need a bigger telescope to have more photons, more surface area to collect light, but also have um, a bigger telescope to have a sharp image so you can see more details in the image. Um, for astronomy, you can distinguish between different objects, or for the ground, you have you can image objects of um, smaller and smaller objects. Um, so basically, that's but because of the technical challenges, and and um, you know, so yeah, it wasn't possible to take that technology and say, oh, let's let's look at the earth, or let's look at you know, make it cheap for a university to develop and um, or other companies to do. Um, there are other ideas out there to make a bit of bigger aperture, but basically the technology readiness level is not there. It's quite sort of like a nice idea on paper, and they did a few lab, funny lab experiments, but then taking that to space is, is quite a challenge. So really, the, the James Webb concept seems to be the, the one that's quite solid and doable, and they obviously hopefully going to fly to October this year, so a few more months, for, and we'll see. Um, so. Yeah, I think that the shift has been the events of the CubeSats really is like, right, this is a cheap way um, you know, for commercial companies to, to buy into space and develop their own little widgets uh, or software to analyze the data. And, and then really combining these two ideas of having a cheap platform and a, and a you know, um, quite high-end technology in the, in the end uh, combined, that was sort of the, the drive initially. And, and uh, it's really putting these two ideas to, together, um, trying to make it feasible. And we have a lot of history and, and expertise in, in making complex optical systems work. Um, yeah, so it, it's not a aha moment. I think it's uh, years of maturation. Uh, I'm not sure you can you know, say uh, years of maturation is a aha moment, but maybe it is. Maybe that's what really happens. But yeah, most people uh, didn't connect the dots like like you did. Um, and it, so you were the lead author on a recent study that that um, uh, on a potentially game-changing idea for CubeSats. Uh, could you elaborate more specifically on the concept and kind of the core innovation? So yeah, I'll talk first about a bit more about CubeSats. So CubeSats are, are sort of um, standardized um, satellite platforms which have certain um, dimensions, for example, and they refer as these dimensions as units. So 1U is about 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters. Um, and you can add them together. So you have 1U telescopes, 3U telescopes, 6U, 12U, etc. The most common nowadays being you know, 3, 6, 12. Um, so a quite famous company now is called Planet and they use the constellation of many satellites, they keep sending up more and more up there. Um, 
And so they, they use mostly 3U CubeSats. Uh, so the standard part is, is, uh, is quite interesting for us because it means we don't have to develop the whole platform. There are standard parts you can buy from different, uh, different companies and different vendors. You don't have to think too much of, oh, how, how am I going to do, you know, the, the navigation or how am I going to do the attitude control? It's all, you know, um, given with, you know, within certain um, characteristics and standards. So this is quite useful. It's not really common, I think, in space to have standards like that, you know, to that extent. And there's lots of different vendors now. Um, and so that's, that's one aspect of the, of the concept, trying to be as standard as possible to, to match this. Um, um, CubeSat standard. On the other, um, so it's it's the concept is actually quite simple to be honest. It's you have um, you want to have a very large mirror in the end um, in space, and what you do to fit the volume. So as I said, these volumes are standard and they're mostly standard for the launch. You need to fit within that volume during the launch. Um, so we fold these mirrors, um, which we call either segments or petals. A bit like a flower, so it's it's folded and fits within the volume of the CubeSats, and you launch it, and in space you deploy again a bit like a flower, um, and you you hope that they they go into position. But we know they don't actually because there's so much you can do for in terms of mechanical precision when you deploy uh, a bit of optic. Um, typical precisions are of the order of a few microns. Or the thickness, the diameter of a hair, maybe, maybe a bit better. Um, but we want to do images in the optical um, portion of the spectrum, so that's um, yeah, the, the visible, visible um, between the blue and red that we can see by by eye. Um, so we need to make sure the mirrors are aligned, um, respective to the perfect shape, um, maybe to. 20 nanometers, so that is you know, a fraction of the diameter of the hair. Um, so we can't do that mechanically, so we need to do a, an optical measurement. So taking an image, for example, of a star, uh, we sort of know what a star should look like, and we move the mirrors uh, into position. So, so there's two aspects. Well, first, the, sorry, first the folding of the mirror, that's, you know, it's quite a challenge to package everything because of this very tight volumes. And then accurately deploy it to microns. That's the first stage. So that is a quite a, you know, um, a difficult mechanical um, um, feat to actually do. And then you have to control these positions. So you move the mirrors up and down, um, and you tilt and tilt them so they, they basically form um, or just, you know, form a single optical surface. Um, so we use actuators um, that we can actually buy from suppliers um, and obviously have to test that they're, they're the right ones. They're quite hard to, you know, to find and to, to integrate on an instrument. And then we use um, some algorithms combined with the data we gather from the detector uh, to find the optimal position. So that's the basic concept. So there, there are a few you know, difficulties and hurdles along the way. Excellent. Um, and it, in your study, you um, mentioned a lot about um, the, the challenges um, with the traditional deployment method uh, of CubeSats and um, how that 
restricts the size of the optical apertures to a few centimeters and, and limits the ground sampling distance. Um, and, yeah, so so basically with, you know, if you call a monolithic mirror that are not segmented and not deployed, uh, the traditional way, it's, it's almost like the un unique way to do things in the moment. Uh, you're limited by the physical size of your CubeSat. So basically an aperture of say nine to 10 centimeters. And that um, defines the, um, the ground sampling distance. So it's basically the, to simplify the size of the pixel on the ground, you can image. So if you have an object that's five meters by five meters, and your you ground sampling distance is five meters, basically you have all this object in one pixel. So you don't have any spatial information. Um, and if you want more pixels, more, more, more information, more details in the image, then you need um, either to come closer and that's very difficult because as soon as you come closer, then the satellite doesn't stay very long in orbit. And uh, so that's one way to do it. Some people are actually actively looking at having very, very low Earth orbit uh, satellites. You know, uh, basically what we do when we take a, a picture with a, our phone, if it's not big enough, either we zoom, but most likely we come closer. Um, and we decided to have a bigger aperture. So that's another way to increase the resolution is just have a bigger aperture. And, and we aiming at, um, 30 to 40 centimeters. So basically, you know, tripling or multiplying by four the aperture. So we have that re resolution um, um, increase linearly. So for a 10 centimeter aperture, let's say the resolution is three meters on the ground. And by tripling that dimension, we have one meter on the ground. And actually, one meter on the ground is actually really good uh, compared to even much bigger platforms and is, is quite a sweet spot, we believe, for a lot of applications of interest for people looking at um, the ground. I mean, that's incredible uh, that there alone, you can you know triple the spatial resolution of, uh, of these uh, satellite images um, and with, with CubeSats. Um, and you, uh, so you, conducted this experiment and, and ran something like 500 tests on, on the deployment of the mirrors? Yeah, so that, that, that was um, a prototype we developed, sort of a proof of concept rather, uh, where we, you know, this idea is, as I said earlier, it's been around for more than 20 years and it's not really a novel idea in itself. It's always combining ideas together that adds value, I think. And, and we wanted to, to make sure we actually knew how to, to move these optics and fold them and deploy them. So we did, yeah, 500, actually multiply by the number of mirrors we have. Uh, in previous design, we had four mirrors and we tried to simplify that to two. Obviously having less deployable mirrors of bits bigger size, then you know, it simplifies and, and reduces the complexity. So yeah, we did, we did a lot of um, lab, lab experiments in that. Uh, for that, so we deployed that optic, and as I said, there's only a certain amount of precision you can do mechanically when you deploy. So we folded it, these these petals, folded in inside the CubeSat, and deployed them using our, our deployment mechanism um, hundreds of times and measured the accuracy of the deployment. And we we're actually quite pleased with that because they were within you know, five microns of of our requirement. That is actually quite good, um, I have to say, especially in a CubeSat. Obviously, there's, there's more, more to that, and um, you know, there are more tests we need to run. 
uh, to ensure that we can do that in, in the right environment, etc. But it was it was a very uh, convincing proof of concept. Awesome, um, and we're curious to hear um, more more about the the future test and 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 when you plan to build and launch and deploy CubeSats in orbit. Yeah, so so that was as I said, the proof of concept. We finished that, um, and and now we're we're in second phase. We're trying to further develop this this concept. And um, there's uh, it's uh, started about six months ago. We have another two years to go on that project. And the project is really um, to bring um, you know, this proof of concept to more prototype stage, where we have a more complete uh, demonstration uh, of our instrument. So in that phase, we're working with um, our industrial partners here in Scotland. Um, so uh, a company called Clydespace, and they're really good because it gives us an insight of actually what their, you know, a company like them can actually deliver on a CubeSat. Um, we always make assumptions and things we, we, we think is right, but, you know, talking to the right people and people with uh, decades of experience. Um, is is really valuable for us. So we're we're trying to increase the the technology level of this 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 entire mission, not just the deploying deploying mechanism. So, um, so for the moment we decided on on a, on a certain size of platform. We think that's the sweet spot for our applications. Uh, so it's a six U platform. Um, so basically, it's ten by twenty by um, like thirty um, centimeters. And we, we want to deploy two, two large petals to reach that 30 centimeter aperture. Um, but there's all other things to consider that we, in our proof of concept, we sort of uh, went over very quickly. We want to make sure that we can, we can uh, fit within that, that risk restrictive volume um, with, with, you know, uh, before it was sort of proof of concept. So we didn't care so much about the volume. Now we care very much about the volume. There's also in a telescope, um, at least two mirrors. There's the primary mirror, that's the, the, collective, the collecting um, area, uh, uh, the one that's 30 centimeters. And then there's a, a secondary mirror that folds that light back onto a detector. And we need to put that aperture quite far away as well. Uh, typically 30 centimeters, 40 centimeters away from the primary mirror. Um, in the CubeSats, uh, it's more than the size of the CubeSat typically, so we need to deploy that as well. So we put a lot of effort in, in deploying that it, small mirror, but it's quite far away, uh, almost like on a selfie stick, basically, um, quite far away. And, and we want to make sure, not like a selfie stick, that it doesn't move at all uh, when we're taking images. And most importantly, we, want, we needed to baffle that to make sure that light uh, coming from unwanted areas or not, um, you know, um, eliminating the detector. Um, so that you know, it's sort of uh, the optical and mechanical design. We're um, designing that, and we will. Um, so we, we just started actually on on the design. So um, so hopefully it will go well, and at the end of this phase, we'll have a, a demonstrator in the lab again, but with the right size and the, the right optics, and um, so it'll be. Um, that technology pushed a bit further. And as I discussed earlier, at, once we deploy, and we know we can deploy, we need to demonstrate as well that we can control the optics with the sufficient accuracy to make sure that we can take image, images 
with the, you know, the one meter gram sampling distance we, we advertise. Um, so that's, um, you know, um, falls maybe on the, the umbrella called active or adaptive optics. That's my remit of research. Um, so we're doing conducting research here as well to make sure we can, we can cope with the conditions of space and the image quality we have to, to have the final optical quality. Uh, so this is the second sort of branch of our, our, our current developments to, to try to achieve um, and how the rate algorithms basically um, to do that. So hopefully at the end of these two years, we'll be in a, a strong position to actually have an in-orbit demonstrator. So you were asking about where are your plans to go to space? Well, that's, you know, at the end of this project, we will not be in a position to go to space. We'll have a demonstrator for the ground, uh, but that would be for the next stage of the project. Um, and then probably another two or three years after that, then we'll be ready to, to, to launch a demonstrator and prove proof of concept. Awesome. awesome. Really exciting. Um, we'll definitely uh, be, you know, looking out for uh, um, as, as things develop and, and uh, get closer to the launch day. Um, I was wondering so how there's much... still a lot of uh, engineering and science to go into that, but uh, hopefully, yeah, as soon as we can. Yes. Uh, I was wondering how, how much payload volume does your deployment method recover? Um, so um, the typical six U cube start is divided by with you know between the payload and the rest of the, uh, the bus. Um, it's typically four U volume for what uh, for the payload and, and two for the rest. Um, everything is negotiable in, in instruments in space, but you know, that's the typical sort of volume all allocation we have. So we have to make sure everything fits. Although it is six U six U CubeSat, we we actually have you know, two thirds of that to to build our instrument and our platform. So these mirrors are, are actually quite big, quite large, and and a lot of of, the, of this volume is taken by these mirrors, but also the, the mechanical structure that holds them um, into position. And um, so that um, is basically a bit, yeah, two thirds of a U and to use the, the CubeSat standard units of a U. Um, and then we have uh, actuators and they're quite small, like a, a small uh, you know, um, matchbox, you know, the, the smaller version. So they're quite small, they're small, even smaller. And we only need a, a few of them, three per, per segment. Um, and then we have all the rest, the electronics um, the, um, and the detector itself. So we want to have a very large detector to gather the largest image possible. And that takes a lot of volume and data. Um, so yeah, so for you, uh, for your volume for the rest of the payload. And as, as you can imagine, super, super tight to fit everything in and package it nicely. Um, it wouldn't be so much of a problem if you were, weren't aiming for optical resolution, you know, tens of nanometers of deployment accuracy in the end. Uh, so that's the real challenge. And I think that was, has been the issue so far of why people weren't trying to do that. It's just quite difficult technically. And we have the, the luxury of doing that every day um, for ground-based astronomy. So things are different, but we can take our heritage and our experience from there to, to transfer across. Wonderful. Um, and so 
um, could, could we use and apply this uh, method with, with uh, you know, ground-based telescopes, but, but also radar and, and, and SAR imaging satellites? So, um, yeah, actually, uh, good points about uh, ground-based um, ground astronomy. Um, although the deployments wouldn't be necessarily on the ground, you'd have to build it you know, already deployed. Um, it's very hard to make a very large mirrors. When I say very large, is more than eight, 10 meters. They're very large on the ground. Um, so after you know, the very large telescope in Chile, which is about eight, eight meters in diameter, we decided that going further was just, just impossible. That the mirrors were too floppy and they would break or um, wouldn't produce the, the right optical surface. So basically, uh, we use what we call segmented telescopes. So we build mirrors maybe a meter in diameter that we um, um, typically in hexagons that we stick together, close together, and we form that um, optical surface with multiple um, mirrors. Um, so basically, it is the same sort of idea, um, although we don't deploy, so we have an extra difficulty there. Uh, we do have to co-phase them so they act as a single optical surface. Um, so there, there are a couple um, ground-based um, uh, telescopes, quite big ones, 10, uh, 8, 10 meters, Keck's, the Keck telescopes, um, also SALT in South America, uh, sorry, South Africa. Um, so yeah, there's lots of experience on the ground, so that's to, you know, something we're doing. And for the extremely large telescopes as well, they have to be segmented, their diameters at 40 meters across. So, so that's, you know, would be just impossible to carry and to make. So we have lots and lots of segments. So it's entirely the same, same concept there. Um, and your second point was about um, radial, I suppose, uh, radial waves. And it, it is slightly different um, in the radio. You have the luxury of being, of the, uh, it's not the same wavelength. So actually you can do things slightly differently. So you can combine quite easily, well, with inverted commas, obviously, um, information coming from two different platforms and, and combine this information um, to um, act as if you had a humongous baseline. So basically what you know, becomes the limit is the baseline between the two telescope and not the size of your telescope itself. And the optic, it is some, some you know, definitely a very appealing concept. It's just having satellites with the accuracy required and you can't combine this information um, after gathering the, the data, you have to do it live while you're gathering photons. You have to co-phase everything um, and make sure it interferes coherently. So actually it is because of the difference of wavelengths uh, and the frequencies involved it's, um, of, wave, of, of light, it's really, really hard to do. Um, so not yet, um, I think, uh, maybe in the future, but you know, um, 20 years more like it. So if we want to be um, flying uh, CubeSats, um, we need to you know, bet on a technology that will, will actually work in the sort of near future. It won't deliver the same sort of resolution, but it's, it's actually achievable for um, free flying telescopes like that. There's a mission called LISA, but it's <clears throat> obviously a completely different area of application. That's for gravitational waves. Uh, but yeah, the technical challenge are, are quite, uh, quite, quite high, so maybe in the future. Nice. Um, 
could we also one day apply this deployment method to other like uh, smaller satellites, nanosats and atosats, and, and uh, or or, or non-imaging satellites. Um. Yeah, so there, there's, yeah, there's, there's a good question, actually. I think that, that the important thing we want to, to sort of look at as well is scalability. And we're, we're, we were thinking more going bigger uh, because um, ESA has plans to have been looking at geostationary satellites to have you know, um, good resolution on the ground from geo. So there you need a really big telescope. Um, and obviously uh, for astronomy, the bigger telescopes, um, the, the next generation after the James Webb. But in principle, there would be no, no reason why you can go smaller as well. It needs to be scalable in both dimensions. Um, and I, I suppose, it, yeah, um, they're, they're, yeah, picosats are really small. So having all the mechanisms in place there uh, would be quite a challenge. We already um, think it's quite a challenge from going from the space James Webb Space Telescope to CubeSats. Um, but hopefully that will be demonstrated at some point in the future. And, and then we can think of which direction we want to go at, bigger or smaller. And there's no, I mean, fitting things in a small volume is always tricky. So um, that's why we're at the moment more inclined to think bigger, but there's really no, no reason why we couldn't. Uh, so yeah, it is important to be scalable, not design. That's the beauty of the CubeSat standard being a bit standard, so you hope that can scale up quite nicely. Nice. It sounds like there's a world of opportunity in the research to um, on, on on both uh, downscaling and upscaling. Um, I think there is, yeah. Both dimensions. Um, yeah, imagine these, you know, these. Uh, swarms of these CubeSats or, or PicoSats, you know, just, uh, throughout the solar system on, on, on a lot of the um, nearby uh, planets and, 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 and imaging. Um, well, it's, um, yeah, I mean, our, our application at the moment is, is more looking down at Earth, so um, Earth observation. Um, but obviously, the, um, as I said, I, I work at the astronomy technology sector. So we are interested in astronomy. That's our, our main business. And, and the exploration of the, the solar system is one of the our main um, topics as well. So yeah, um, I think having the CubeSats uh, on, on extra you know, solar system uh, missions uh, is interesting. And I think the deployment thing, um, the mechanism is also quite um, you know, valuable, I think, because you can achieve you know, the same volume, um, much higher image quality. So if you want to image Mars, for example, and, and understand the weather patterns there, then you can have this, you know, for the same cost, let's say you can put two satellites with deployable objects instead of one, and therefore have twice the, the coverage or twice the temporal coverage, which might be interesting if you're looking at weather patterns in Mars, for example. So yeah, there's quite a you know, promising uh, future ahead, I hope, on, on the exploration of planets and other solar objects. That's very exciting. Um, so what you just mentioned, uh, that makes me think about um, if, if it would make sense and, and if it would be feasible and, and uh, beneficial if, if uh, you could combine two CubeSats, you know, dock them together in orbit and, and uh, 
combine the apertures and mirrors potentially yeah um there's a, a as i said there's, there's lots of concepts actually that people are coming um up with that um you know, from very practical to um you know utterly crazy um you know a fleet of thousands of satellites free flying together to form a, a telescope maybe one day but you know it's not going to happen probably not in our lifetime and um, but um one of the things you know other concepts so we we Sort of betting on the deployable things, but I'm not arguing at all. That's the only idea that, that will work. Um, docking has become, um, you know, I think there are a couple of demonstration already of CubeSats docking. Um, so they're, they're, they're flying, you know, launched, and then they dock together and they form at least docking. They didn't do something combined. I think it was just proving that they can dock with the accuracy required. And so indeed, you can you know, imagine that. You have two two mirrors, and then you put two cubesat together, and you have twice the mirror surface. And um, so, yeah, I think that's that's a great idea, actually. Uh, docking multiple platforms, and you can imagine you know having a couple, and then three months later sending a couple more, etc. And you gradually build your your your, your platform. Up, right? um, so I do think it's a great idea. I think the the only disadvantage for for building a, a telescope. Is basically not saving anything. You're just sending the same thing in in just little chunks. Um, so you're not actually, you know, at the end you're building that a pretty big telescope. I, I don't see how you can actually benefit from you know. You can have the standard of CubeSat and you can sort of split it up in multiple launch, so you can piggyback on on launches. But in the end, you still have to launch the full thing. So yeah, pros and cons. Yeah, yeah, it'll be indeed interesting to see how how the field develops, you know, the next uh, few decades. Um, and uh, so it's uh, around one point three kilograms per one unit, with an average cubesat cost around fifty thousand US to manufacture in, in in the present day. You know, this is from mm. the first web page on Google. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, well, I think the mass is a bit uh, negotiable depending on what your, your launch provider. So it can be a bit higher than that um, if you're having you know, heavy equipment. Um, but typically, yeah, what limits is the volume, not so much the mass. Uh, but it's important to keep an eye on the mass because you always have big optics tend to be heavy. Uh, but the cost, yeah, um, the cost is you know not not that expensive to be honest and i think that's uh, a lot of universities are actually developing their, and launching their, their own cubesats it's totally affordable instead of you know james Webb space telescope costing billions and billions and definitely not affordable uh, for university to do but i think that's that's the beauty so hopefully um you know, if we can keep within the base costs then uh, you know, affordable for normal normal universities and small companies that would be great. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. we need to develop everything first. First thing first. Yes. We, we develop technology, so we'll, we'll, we'll see about the cost a bit later. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, indeed exciting the way the, the direction things are headed. Um, mm. Gives a lot of us hope, hope and inspiration. Um, awesome. Oh, uh, 
Thanks so much, Noah, uh, for, for, for joining Thank us. Thank you very today. much, Noah. Uh, it's uh, very insightful, and, and we learned a lot. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you very much.